Good morning, comrades, and welcome to the 27th chapter of the Perthian Chronicles. I'm Ryan Morano, and this is a pre-recorded introduction. First, I want to apologize immensely during the processes of editing this chapter. I didn't record this one well, I have to admit. The good news is that you'll be able to hear my guest, Carl uh, Morrison, wonderfully. And, and thank goodness I don't talk much in this one. It was a combination of being awestruck because meeting with, you know, a major artistic director of a major theatre company, a national theatre company, was just brilliant. And a lot of important things were said during this chapter. So I just want to apologise. There may be some re-recording some questions so you can hear the questions and then a bit, a bit more context. It's really important because when I first listened to the introduction to this chapter, you couldn't hear me. I was basically like whispering. Not stage whispering, but um, just whispering. And it does a real disservice if the introduction isn't audible because it's important because it sets up the context of the uh, author of the chapter. And Carl is a very, very important and yeah, a wonderful author. Very generous for giving some of his time. So without further ado, good morning, comrades, and welcome to the 27th chapter of the Perthian Chronicles. And today we are joined by the actor, writer and director Carl Morrison. Currently, he is the artistic director of the Irayakan Theatre Company, which means standing tall in Noongar. Carl has had projects in some of Perth's most important venues, including the Blue Room Theatre and the State Theatre Centre. In 2015, Carl and a Perth delegation, the creme de la creme of WA theatre artists, took part in Melbourne's inaugural Director's Lab, an international meeting of some of the most brilliant theatrical minds in theatre. In 2013, Carl was awarded the NADOC Perth Outstanding Achievement Award to acknowledge over 20 years of work in Aboriginal theatre. And in 2012, Kyle, along with Kylie Farmer and Trevor Ryan, was invited to bring the Noongar language to the Globe Theatre's stage in London for the Cultural Olympiad. Kyle, welcome and thank you very much for having me here. Hello, and thank you very much for having me. It's a beautiful day today. It's a beautiful day, and I'd like to first say that we are recording outside, so there's a beautiful ambient sound of winds and planes and birds. And you may hear the sound of a rusty gate. That is not my mind working. That's actually probably a rusty gate. <laughs> but we are outside, and it's a beautiful day. I mean, we live in Perth, and it's summer. I mean, what other place in the world could you probably do this? It's the best place in the world to do this. So, sorry, but I'm getting ahead of you here. <laughs> To start off, yep. Now I've got this uh, question. I've, I've got many questions today. I hope I have answers for you, my friend. <laughs> now this is a, a two-parter, but I, I shall say this in one question. Yep. Did you find art, or did art find you? Have you always been or wanted to be a director? Um, I, I guess in in a lot of ways, art found me. And um, we didn't, I didn't come from a very artistic family, uh, I guess. Um, you know, we, we, we travelled a lot when I was young. Uh, we lived in places like Port Hedland. Uh, I, I started primary school in Karatha. I, I went to primary school in, in Yandiara and, 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 and did some high school in Mount Newman. Um, so, you know, it, we travelled a lot. And so theatre wasn't something that I had a lot of access to growing up as a little kid. 
um, growing up in, in places like, you know, Jigalong and, and, and Yendiara and, and Port Edelin and places like that. So, in a way, I was introduced to art and theatre uh, through different ways, I guess. You know, seeing the old dances and the old kind of cultural customs when I was in, in, in the Pilbara. I mean, that's art and culture, that's dance and theatre in a lot of ways. So I guess, in some ways, I was introduced to theatre or I was shown theatre in, in the oldest kind of Australian way, which is that old performative way of storytelling or, or ceremonial dance and such. So I guess when I came down, uh, I moved down to Perth at about 10 or 11 after living in the Pilbara, and I went to a, an awesome primary school uh, called uh, Newbra Primary School, which is uh, uh, in Doubleview. And Newbra Primary School had a drama unit, or, or, or you, we had drama classes like once every couple of days. And we'd do mime, we'd do shadow puppetry, we would do radio plays, we would, you know, do physical stuff and, and clowning. And, and, and I guess, in a way, I, I just really felt comfortable there. I, I really kind of felt natural in a, an environment where, where we make fun of each other and we, we play dress-ups and we, and, we, and we pretend and things like that. And I remember my cousin, my, her name is Della Ray Morrison, and, and Della was in Brand New Day in 93. So I was going to this primary school where we had drama and, you know, at, at that same time, I, I guess, going back to that, uh, one of our teachers, um, Miss, Mrs Davidson, I, I don't even know if she remembers me these days, but I remember at the, at the primary school, she would make us, she made us all lay down, close our eyes, and she played us Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture. And I remember her explaining us the story and how the story of, of the 1812 winter campaign of, of, of uh, Napoleon's kind of faltered in the, in the Russian snow. And she talked about that through the song. And I remember really clearly, you know, connecting to 1812 Overture in a way that, that I never connected to any other musical songs that I didn't hear the old people were singing up, up in the Pilbara. So in a way, you know, classical music or Tchaikovsky connected to me the same way that, that a lot of that old singing, the old songs that old fellas were singing with the, with the boomerangs up in the Pilbara kind of connected to me in a lot of ways. So in a way, I guess I'm, I'm very lucky and fortunate that I did go to that primary school that had a lot of art and had had theatre, you know, as part of, you know, we had theatre alongside sport, which you know, I think in this country, if we, if we had a lot more opportunity to practice art and culture along to, alongside sport and, uh, and vanity, I suppose, then we might have a, have a better sense of, 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 of humanity in a way. And I guess I learned a lot about who I was and, and where I existed through that, through that primary school and, and, that, and that artistic experience. So at the end of the year, we did an end of year production, and I think that was about 1992, did an end of year production and, and, and I did a radio play and I was, I just kind of like a duck to water, I guess. I, I, I don't remember all, a lot about that time, but I remember being in every single piece and, and kind of emceeing a lot of it. And I just kind of took to that whole world and my parents kind of noticed that at the, at the end of year production and kind of went, well, maybe there's something in this world that, because they didn't have a clue, they didn't go to any, see any theatre. Theatre was so far removed from, from our, our kind of everyday culture. And so my cousin Della said, well, maybe he should audition for a, for a show that Black Swan Theatre Company are looking for, for, for boys and for this show called Waiting for Godot by, by a man named Samuel Beckett. And me and my parents are kind of going, well, what's this whole Godot thing? 
and kind of got into the rehearsal and it's like, oh, Godot, oh, Godot. Yes, well, yes, well, well, we're going to auditions for Waiting for Godot now. And, and, and you know, it was just, it was just one, of the, one of the most interesting things. And I auditioned for uh, two gentlemen, uh, one named Andrew Ross, uh, one of the most important uh, kind of people for theatre and the arts in this town that I, during my lifetime anyway, no, no doubt about that. And uh, a man named George Sheftsov, who I, uh, I guess, later became quite close with. Um, yeah, my, it's funny. It's funny. It's a very Perth thing, I guess. Yeah. Is that I auditioned for him when I was ten years old, and then I, 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 I dated his daughter for three years. So we kind of, ah. and uh, <laughs> me and her, me and her are very good friends still. But it's kind of very Perth thing that you know, one of my mentors, one of my my oldest friends, ended up living with her, with his daughter for a couple of years. And, and God bless Katia, we had a great time. But it's just kind of one of those things, you know. So I don't know if that's a Perth thing. Yeah. Somebody said that's so Perth, and I'm like, it's not Perth. It's just the arts in general. Anyway, so yeah, and I was I was very lucky in that I. Was was introduced to to these two people but also introduced to art introduced to culture and cultural expression in a different way and and you know I auditioned for that show at 11 years old and and I don't know I think they saw that I think they George Sheftsov and and and, and Andrew Ross saw the same kind of insanity that they've got inside their own minds so I thought I think they noticed that kind of insanity and craziness at a very young age, and they kind of just, they, they, they brought me into the show, they brought me into to, to do Brand New Day, and I was, I mean, sorry, um, Waiting for Godot, and one of the most beautiful things was that I, when I was rehearsing Brand New, uh, <laughs> Waiting for Godot, Black Swan were actually producing Brand New Day at the same time, so my cousin Della was rehearsing Brand New Day at the Regal Theatre, and I was rehearsing Waiting for Godot at, the, at, at Subiaco Art Centre, so in a way, I was introduced to contemporary theatre uh, through possibly the most important text of the 20th century. I think, um, you know, that's, that's debatable and we can have this argument amongst all sorts of theatre fans and, you know, that's what we do in, in theatre. We like to argue about, you know, the most significant works and who, 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 who really changed the world of our small industry. Um, and so, you know, Samuel Beckett, I was very lucky that I was introduced to theatre in a contemporary telling of Waiting for Godot, which is the most, I think is the most important text in the 20th century. And at the same time, I got to go and see Brand New Day rehearsing at the Regal Theatre. So I got to see strong, authentic representation of Aboriginal people live on that stage. There was nowhere else outside of my own family and people like uh, my Uncle Rob Riley, rest in peace, and my Uncle my uncle Jim, uh, Uncle James, Uncle James Morrison, and my, my, you know, my auntie, um, my auntie, <laughs> rest in peace, my auntie Glennis, who used to run ATSIC here in Western Australia. You know, she's one of the, one of the strongest women ever in Aboriginal politics. You know, uh, and so I was lucky that I had strong, creative Aboriginal role models because the only other people that I had were were sports and politics. Um, and <laughs> I don't want to get into any of them. I'm, um, I, I do love sports, but but um, it's not much. It's not as much of a mental challenge for me, and I love politics, but it's way too much of a mental challenge for me. So you kind of sit in that place in the middle of, of, of art and culture, you know. So I was I was I was lucky that I was shown strong Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people outside of out. Well, there was no strong Aboriginal people for me to really look at. On TV, there wasn't anything on TV that represented me or my people. There wasn't anything in the newspapers that represented me or my people besides crime stoppers or, you know, when they're talking about, um, maybe they were talking about, you know, Aboriginal protests and, and, and disruption as opposed to talking about 
you know, the long-term effects of intergenerational trauma. They just painted Aboriginal people as, as bad people. You know, I grew up in a society where Aboriginal people are 80% of, of prison populations, yet we're less than 3% of the population. So what does that do to a young, a young person? What does that say? It says to me, and what I grew up with, was this idea that I'm genetically a bad person, that being an Aboriginal person was just made me bad, that I'm probably going to end up in jail at some point. I'm probably going to end up in a, you know, in a, in a hospital or a, or, a, or a coffin, you know. So I grew up kind of thinking that if you, if, if, if you can't make it in sport or if you don't have the intelligence to, to fight for our people in health and politics, then there's no other real option. So jail is, 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 is kind of a, a valid, a really valid option for me when I was 10 years old, 11 years old. And that's a horrifying thought. So I am so glad that art did find me. And I guess to answer in a really long way of answering your question is, yes, I think art did find me. And I thank my ancestors and I thank, you know, the creation spirits of this country that it did find me because without art and without this, this cultural practice, I've, I'm pretty sure that I'd be in jail at the moment. And that, that's not, that's not be me being sarcastic or, 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 you know, me being funny or, or me being sacrilegious or so, but it's, it's actually a fact, you know? I mean, 80% of Aboriginal people in jail, if I'm not, if I didn't find this place in art and culture and, and, and creation of stories and, and ideas and culture, I mean, keep going back to culture, it's a shared, theatre is a shared culture that we have. You know, I share the same culture as, 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 as a lot of, you know, non-Aboriginal people in this town is that as a theatre maker, I've inherited 5,000 years of Western Greek culture and, and theatre through Euripides and Sophocles and, and to another extent I've inherited 500 years of Shakespearean theatre and with Elizabethan culture, you know, like, so in a way, I'm really, really lucky that I am grateful that I've had people in the theatre industry around me, like, like uh, Luke Hewitt, Jeff Kelso, Polly Lowe, Phil Thompson, Andrew Ross and, and, Jeff, and, and George Shefsov, the people that I've talked about, and Glenn Hall, you know, these people have been there for me and, and have shown me a part of Australia that I didn't have actually access to. The only access to that part of Australia I had was, was home and away, and, and unfortunately that's, that's so far removed from the world that I actually exist in that it's it's detrimental for me to actually watch it because it's 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 yeah anyway so i guess you know the perth theater industry is such a beautiful industry such an inclusive industry and i guess i grew up in a, in a theater industry that that has a strength of of commonality and storytelling and that's what's different i guess in perth that i've found to theater industry you know in melbourne or sydney or brisbane is that you know i think we've had such a legacy of authentic aboriginal storytelling and authentic representation and true and valid representation of Aboriginal people ever since the 70s in this town and, and we're very we're very lucky and privileged by that and, and I, and I recognise that Aboriginal people we are very lucky that we have had strength of culture and identity and authenticity of, of representation of Aboriginal people on the theatre and on the stages for as long as I can remember and I am so ultimately privileged like not very many indigenous peoples in the world, like I'm talking about Canada, New Zealand, Taiwan, uh, Wales, wherever, you know, colonised people exist. There's not really that avenue for young and, and young and vibrant and inspire, aspiring people to have a connection 
into the culture like that. And I was, and I was very lucky that, that I had a connection into Western culture through theatre was something that we actually really shared. And I got to see, you know, my culture and my people expressed with strength and validity at 11 years old in front of my face, you know. So I stopped watching TV at a very young age because if I, if I watched TV or read West Australian or, you know, any, any, any kind of uh, um, general media in this town is not a safe place for me to... It's not a sh- safe shared space for us to exist because if, you know, the way that, the, the way that my people and I am talked about is, is, is usually very negative. So, you know, media in, in, in Australia is not a safe shared space for us where theatre is in Western Australia. And that was, and that's been a real privilege that I've had as a young Aboriginal person growing up in this town is seeing myself, my family, my people represented authentically and validly on stage. And, and we didn't find that in TV or we didn't find that in film, you know, like one film that we had hold of when we were young was Archie Weller's Day of the Dog or Blackfellas was it called. And we watched that, me and my, me and my cousins and my friends, we watched that every day because that was... That was a real representation of Aboriginal people. It wasn't beautiful. It wasn't idealistic. It, you know, definitely wasn't looking at at this show through rose-coloured lenses. So, you know, it was a real honest idea of, of who we were. And then I saw Brand New Day, and and then I started seeing, you know, Yuri Arkin shows, the, the youth shows, and then I saw Runamuck. I wagged school in year in year nine. I wagged school at Armidale High School and went to the theatre, and to my horror, my English class was actually at the theatre. Oh. That was the school surprise we were going to see, Yuri Arkin's <laughs> show. And I was like, I don't want to do school. Just, I really kind of just wagged school, went and watched this, this matinee, and my English class was there. And, this, and there was this part on the show where, where they got kids, to, got everybody up to, or got a few uh, people to get up and sing a uh, karaoke song. And because, you know, Kelton Pell was, was in Waiting for Godot when I was 11 years old. And then, you know, six years later, I'm in the audience. Well, five years later, I'm in the audience watching him. And he pulls me up on stage to, to sing Stand By Your Man. And, and so I was kind of hoping my, my English class wasn't in there for that. Because then for the next couple of weeks, everybody kind of giving me a lot of, a lot of hass or a lot of, a lot of stick about me singing Stand By Your Man on stage. But I guess, but at the same time, I think they realised something about my connection to theatre and, and what and, you know what theatre really is because they saw a representation of Aboriginal people which they saw at their high school. You know what I mean? They saw Aboriginal people. It's not the black fella standing up in the bush with a spear and you know and his leg hooked up onto his calf. That is not contemporary Aboriginality. That's a that's a traditional idea of, of, of Aboriginality and, and you know we grew up thinking if if we can't be that, if we can't be David Golpalil, you know, the noble savage standing up you know, with the spear, or we can't be, you know, we can't be um, um, the, the premier of the state. You know, the only other options were to be Chris Lewis or Nicky Winmar, and and you know that kind of detrimental look at at the only avenues for success. And and I, you know, I was really, really lucky that I was shown theatre at 11 years old, and I wanted to be an artistic director when I was 12. And I saw what what it does. You know, I saw our audiences. I saw Aboriginal audiences walking out of the theatre after Brand New Day and, and, I've, and it's been very rare outside of, you know, thousands of year old of, of thousands year old cultural practice and old dances and painted ceremonies where it's, that's the only other time that I'd seen Aboriginal people as a collective in one place with so much pride so much strength so much, so much I guess 
peace with who we are and what we you know what we represent because it's 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 not a peaceful place to exist in yourself as aboriginal person in this state so seeing that that peace and that strength of our aboriginal people walking out of the audience i i recognize that I recognize that as a 12 year old kid and i just knew that that's that is worth working towards seeing our aboriginal audiences and our aboriginal kids grow and and and, and that, that strength of culture and and identity you know I, when i was 17 years old we'd we'd, we'd cruise around schools around Perth and do Noongar Dreamtime stories and you know we still do as a company Yuriak and we still do we've got a show out later this year called Carla Cudigen which it is about fire Cudigen to understand and Carla being fire so this show Carla Cudigen will teach kids about how the, the myths and legends of how fire came to Noongar country but also how we use it and its importance you know like fire is 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 is, is a totemic idea I have friends and family whose totem is fire or a certain type of fire a spring fire you know so so that prometheus story and these understandings and these old kind of consciousness stories are were really important i was 17 years old and we were performing these shows and i could see the kids young noongar kids and not specifically noongars yamajis wongas all the kids and you see all and you see that that pride that understanding of who we are that understanding that our our culture our law our philosophies are so valid they're so strong you know the fact that that we looked at this earth differently that we that we practiced ceremony that we practiced traveling that we practiced so many things differently and the strength of our traditional paradigms are so beautiful and and so rich and vibrant and you know and we have to know that as aboriginal people otherwise Otherwise, we, we, we kind of look at our culture as, a, as this pagan religion where we didn't even invent the wheel like we bloody needed a wheel here, you know, and, and those kind of ideas. And, and we grow up thinking that we're, we're genetically insuperior, we're, we're genetically inferior, when actually, no, we're genetically, in a lot of ways, we are superior in a lot of ways, you know. So this idea of growing up and thinking that you're genetically insuperior, genetically probably going to end up in jail. So that moment when you see Aboriginal people in the audience come out and that strength and life and validity, it's just, I'd never seen it anywhere else in the world. And the only places that I really saw it was, was at the Brand New Day and, and, and Waiting for Godot and then later at Iriak and Opening Nights. And, you know, replicating that and, and, and making sure that our Aboriginal people can, can see themselves, our young Noongar people can see themselves in a way that's not depicted by by the West Australian police or the West Australian or our local news outlets. So, you know, it, art found me so that way I could exist and be stronger. And, I, and you know, and, and my, my, my want now is to, to be able to give that to, to other people, to, to see young Aboriginal people grow into a creative identity, you know. It's, it's so much of our world has been destroyed and... I remember being a young 17-year-old growing up in Armidale and 15-year-old growing up in places like Belmont, you know. You grow up, you grow up, you grow up rough, you grow up tough and, and, and you, I grew up wanting to just destroy. I wanted, to, I wanted to bring this country down. I wanted to destroy all the comfort and all the privilege that, that most of Australia has to make up for the pain and the trauma and, and the depression that we have out of dispossession and out of colonisation. And so giving having that opportunity to now create ideas as opposed to destroying ideas it allows me to be a stronger human being a, a stronger traumatized colonized human being in this world and i have a i have a place i have a i have a mission that that god supports in a way you know i get to 
I get to make art, I get to tell story. And in that way, we get to share the strength of ourselves with each other, but we get to share a strength of our identity, our, the validity of our contemporary cultures to the rest of society, you know, the validity that, the validity of my contemporary culture as an Aboriginal man, the contemporary Aboriginal man, like, you know, Xbox is a, is a big part of my culture. And I'm not even going to joke, you know? You know, um, watching uh, uh, shoutcasts of, of things like Age of Empires and, and Rome and, and Total War, mid medieval, and last night I was watching Warhammer, Total War 2, you know? You know, like, like, that's a part of my contemporary culture. You know, knowing my language, hearing my songs, knowing my dances. This is all part of being a contemporary Aboriginal person, you know? I tell you, absolutely. Um, yeah, Xbox and, and YouTube and, 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 you know, Snapchat, they're all a part of my contemporary culture. And being val- validly Aboriginal, being validly cultural, either in, in a traditional Aboriginal cultural way but, or in a contemporary pop cultural way, you know, I've been to I've been to Supernova and, and, and Comic Con a couple of times dressed up. You wouldn't you? I'm a, and it's all incognito, brother. You, nobody knows. Nobody knows it's me, man. That's, nobody knows it's me. It's, uh, you know, that's it's kind of Maytosin. It's not me. No. So, so you know, that, and, and and this is this is what I really want to explore is this contemporary idea of Aboriginality because. You know, like I said, you know, Stranger Things and, 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 you know, Dragon Ball is still a part of my culture. I get up every Sunday morning and watch Dragon Ball Super. It's awesome. Are you guys keeping up? Because it's fantastic. But anyway, let's not get onto that. And, and you know, in, in the same vein, the, the, the Sparrowhawk dance that, that the old Yamaji men taught me is still my, is still my culture. The, the, the songs about fire, the, 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 you know, and so in a lot of ways, the, the, the sonnets that we, that we developed, that Kylie Bracknell Carl Jilba Karan, now another one. See, Carl Jilba, she's spring fire. So her totem is a fire, is a spring fire. And the spring fire is, is about the re- regeneration of life. And, and you know, she is uh, a part of that renewing of spirit and, and, and country. You know, there's no, there's no excuse, there's no accident why her name is Carl Jilba, spring fire, the, the spire that rejuvenates the whole, the whole country. She's the biggest, one of the biggest reasons why the Noongar Shakespeare project is, is so strong because you have a contemporary strong Aboriginal person um, or Noongar person in Kylie Bracknell who knows her language and culture and me and her and Trevor Ryan work together to create Shakespearean sonnets but not Shakespearean sonnets Noongar sonnets they are sonnets in all of their structure you know 14 lines um, rhyming couplets 10 beats you know all of that what, what makes a sonnet a sonnet and so, in a way, we, we were creating a traditional style of artistic expression in a very contemporary or in a very kind of orthodox Western or an orthodox kind of Anglo way. And that, that is what's, what's, what excites me. What really excites me is like working within these cultures, working like, you know, like I said, Shakespeare is my culture. Theatre is my culture. And, and, and you know, as a, as a Western theatre director, I've inherited all of that and I've and I remember somebody kind of going, really, is Shakespeare really your culture? And I'm like, yeah, how long have you got? Because I really want to talk about this and I would love to hear how you don't think Shakespeare's not my culture and, you know, and, and, and kind of, and so in a way, by us working within Shakespeare and culture and Shakespeare to tell a new story and to create a new paradigm of our art, I think we can actually give a lot more of Noongar culture in a valid way for the rest of society to really hold and to take you know, there's a, there's a shared culture here that we're talking about, and that Shakespeare, which is, you know, the traditional 
Anglo art form, the, 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 the orthodox theater, theatrical art form, and, and Noongar language is the oldest kind of communication art for a communication form on this land. And so the Noongar sonnets basically are the truth and the core and the nub, I feel, of Perth culture. Because you're only in Perth can you really create sonnets in Noongar language, really, you know. Uh, maybe in Albany and Bunbury and Bustledon, you know, all, all around Noongar country probably could. And Noongar's going to probably say to me, no, 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 we can bloody do that in Tamblup. You know we can. I said, yeah, 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 good. Well, then I'll meet you in Querreting. But anyway, um, so <laughs> that whole idea that we're creating a shared culture that we want to... I want to share this country with people. I want to share a culture and, and, and you know, a lot of ways Anglo culture is not really open for me to accept. It's been shoved down my throat in a lot of ways. You know, you can kind of kick back or push back against that. But you know, the beautiful, the parts that I love about, about European culture that I've been, you know, I would say Anglo culture, but then I'm, I'm gonna start talking about Tchaikovsky and you kind of go, yeah, that's not gonna work. So I'll just say Western, you know, European culture. And inheriting that, so you kind of go, what is, what does Perth look like in 10 years time when a lot more people understand Noongar language? And that's the idea that we're going to get to in 10 years' time. We're going to have a lot more people who, know, who understand Noongar language. We're going to have, have produced a full Shakespearean work in Noongar. In 10 years' time, ideally, we would have produced two. We would have produced, ideally, a full work in Noongar. Who knows, you know? But, but, but what we're doing is we're creating the capacity for real cultural collaboration between the Anglo-Western you know, um, um, uh, Western European kind of artistic expression and, and our 40 to 60 to 100,000 year old cultural expression here in Perth. And you kind of go, what is, what is a contemporary Noongar and Western Australian art form? Because I think we've got a really good opportunity to, to, to look at that here in Perth because I see, I think a lot of contemporary theatre in Australia is losing the strength of unique Aboriginal voices. So a lot of, I think, I feel like a lot of times when Aboriginal people are expressed on Australian theatre, it kind of feels like this generic kind of idea of Indigenous or Aboriginal. You know, you kind of go, you put up a, a Russian show, you don't just kind of call it generically European, you know, nobody, nobody really... Um, uh, uh, confuses that with a Portuguese show, but with this, with Aboriginal culture, there is this generic idea that all Aboriginal cultures are quite similar. And so, by getting to understand the uniqueness of Noongar culture and the uniqueness of, say, West Australian Shakespearean culture, then we you know we get to create a cultural capacity that's very unique to just Perth, to to theatre makers within Perth, to artists within Perth, and and and, and Noongar culture within that. So I guess. You know, I, I, Perth has always been a town that's 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 had a great history of collaboration between Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people, and you know, I think there's been a history of, of cultural safety for Aboriginal people within audiences in Perth, and I think you know that in the next ten years, Perth will really be a leader in in how contemporary art form or how contemporary performing arts is expressed through the creation of, of valid and real collaboration and real cross-cultural creation. You know, I think Perth is, is, is going to be really uh, uh, right at the front line of that because I don't see too many places in the world, you know, Toronto, Vancouver, Wellington included, where there's such a strong connection between black and white theatre makers and a shared 
narrative of theatre. So I think we're really lucky in Perth and, and Perth is truly blessed and I think, you know, this is this is this is definitely a town worth working for and worth 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 kind of putting the effort in. Now I don't know if that answers your question now. <laughs> yes, it most it not only answers that one, but it's answered like like all of them practically. And I was thinking to myself, oh, oh, oh thank you so much, Kai. Well, one of the things that like last night I was please people check out the Iriakan um, YouTube uh, uh, page channel I should say yeah um, because the one thing I you did in it well you did a promo I think for your 2013 season and the one thing I'm really happy for you to be here um, today and this really made me passionate as a Perthian or a Perthite or you know a WA person a Perthite a Perthite no, no, let's not say a Perth third, shall we? No, no, that sounds wrong. Um, I really enjoyed how you said that your Yarkin is, and I think I strongly believe it is the national theatres, a, a theatre hub, theatre centre mm. um, for Indigenous Australian theatre. Yeah, yeah. And I totally agree. Yep. Um, and that just warms, I just love, like, I had um, Paul Seller Norton, who does the same for <laughs> nice. Strut Dance. Yeah, nice. A national, that's what I love hearing, that how mm. WA is starting to become a national centre for this, a national yeah. centre for that. Yeah, and, and that's, that's uh, I guess, our place that we've that we've earned, um, not just Yuri Arkin, but, you know, through the work that Black Swan have done over the years, through the work that, that you know, that Paul McPhail did um, at, uh, at Barking Gecko Theatre Company and, and in the creation of Yuri Arkin, all of that took real vision and real, real grit. You know, like Yuri Arkin wouldn't wouldn't be the company that it is today without without people like Paul McPhail. You know, creating these ideas and the and these places for for Aboriginal people to kind of really get in there and and, and generate generate content, generate ideas, but also generate style and generate you know how we want to tell our art form. And then and that's the really interesting thing as well. I think is is, is where where Perth sits is. And you know, and this is generally—it's not just for Aboriginal art, um, Aboriginal theatre—but I think generally, the isolation, uh, you know, the, the the fact that we are a metropolis, we're a two million um, population city on the edge of a continent, at the edge of the the, on the edge of another continent, on the other side of the world to everybody else. You know, like it's—I I think that's that—that's a real beauty, and and then the work that that my colleagues have been making in this town is very uniquely Perth, and there's there's a real beauty about that. You know, you see see people like Jacob Lehrer who's worked all over the world and, and you know he's tr who's highly trained but he's come to Perth and he's found a, a unique place and a unique kind of industry to work within and I, and I think yeah absolutely right and uh, the Yuri Arkin has grown into this place which is which is internationally renowned we're, we're one of the most successful and highly functioning Aboriginal theatre companies in the world regardless of, of, of how good we are in Perth or Australia you know we punch well above our weight, you know, just generally. We're, we're one of the most, you know, we're known and regarded in, in places like Toronto and all over the world. People know Yuri Arkin and that comes from a strength of of that, that, that shared want to tell those stories. And, and I think Perth also, a lot of the Perth artists around here, you know, are not scared to kind of get in there and have that conversation. It's a hard conversation. It's a, it's a tough one because we're all going to, we all feel hurt. We all feel depressed you know we all feel either guilty or angry or, or you know any time we go into the conversation about who we are as a country what we exist to do why and how we got to here you know the uniqueness of that situation and that place has allowed Yuri Arkin to really grow into into a, an authentic kind of 
artistic organization that's not really dictated to or influenced by the kind of flavor of the month of Aboriginal theater nationally, you know? So, and we're not kind of, we don't need to respond or beholden to, you know, theater that represents Aboriginal people that's not, might not be authentically portraying us and, and you know, that, that the big kickback for a lot of shows that, that have happened, you know, some of them were made right here in Perth, you know, there's Storm Boy and Secret River and, 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 and a few uh, rabbits, oh my God. You want to talk about being colonised as you sit in an audience, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we've talked about that, and that's, that's Barking Gecko Theatre Company, and that's a company that I love and respect a lot. I've worked with them since I was 17 years old. We're going into projects now to create new work that, 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 you know, that, we're, that we're talking about, you know. So, but, but at the same time, you know, theatre still might not be a safe place for Aboriginal people to sit in the audience while white directors are doing it, where I usually find... If a white director is talking about Aboriginal people in Perth, I usually am slightly more comfortable in that conversation than the conversation run by Eastern States people. And I don't know what that is. And I, don't, and I think it's just the way that we share that conversation as Perth people and, and as the way that, that we kind of open that up. And, you know, and so in that way, in that freedom to express, in that freedom to chat, we've really become that kind of a place in the world where we can explore form as Aboriginal theatre makers. And when I say Aboriginal theatre makers, I'm, I'm kind of including Algonquin, I'm, in, I'm, I'm including the Cree and the, you know, the Maori from Aotearoa and the, and, and the people from Hawaii, you know, the, 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 it's, it's, I'm kind of going as Indigenous theatre makers internationally, you know, we've got a place here in Perth that we can kind of explore and explore band on form and expression because of the isolation, because of the strength of intention by the wider community, but also because of the, the, the resources that we can attract being in a rich town, you know. So we have the opportunity to create a centre of excellence. We have a, a, an opportunity to create a focal point or a place to wish for. You know, if you're an Aboriginal theatre maker in, in, in another part of the world, in Canada, in Hawaii, in, in Wales, you kind of go, I would love for them in 10 years' time to go, one day I'm going to perform at Yuriyakum. One day we're going to get to Yuriyakum, you know, and we're really wanting to, to kind of start that and get that going this year. We've got uh, a solo Othello, which is a one-man Māori show, which is, which is a one-man Othello, all in Māori. Well, not all in Māori, it's going to be lots of Māori, but lots of, lots of Pākehā English as well. So it's, it's a really fun show, but it's, it's a contemporary cultural expression. It's contemporary because it's Anglo culture and Māori culture, which is, if that's not New Zealand, then, what, then I, don't think of, I can't think of anything else that should be New Zealand. But, and so, you know, that's summed up a contemporary Māori, New Zealand, Pākehā culture like nothing else. And, and so I'm kind of going, yeah, we want to do that too, this contemporary Australian, contemporary Noongar culture through the telling of Macbeth. You know, so that's what we're opening up, this, this idea, we're opening up our venue. We've also got a show called Huff from Canada. It's, it was developed in, in, the, in the reservations, in the reserves, in the reservations in Canada. And it's a, it's a story about a young man growing up as a traumatised, you know, uh, First Nations person. And, and, this is, and this is one of the best, you know, First Nations work out of Canada that I've seen for a good, good while. And, and, you know, that, that to suggest that all of these shows... All of these awesome First Nations works from all over the world, they are good enough to be presented at Uriarkham. They are good enough to, to be seen here in Perth by an audience that's already intelligent in Indigenous theatre, an, an audience that's already intelligent in the conversation that we're already having. 
So I think the Indigenous theatre world would be lucky to come here to present their work because this is the biggest Indigenous theatre audience in the world, in one of the smallest Anglo cities in the world, and it's really beautiful. So, and that, you know, that ability, that capacity for us to be a centre of excellence for Indigenous art and Indigenous theatre internationally, you know, I, I really think it comes, goes back to, to the days that, that Pop Jack Davis was making the work. Goes back to the days when, uh, you know, Honey Lynette Narkel was, was, was in there on that stage rewriting stuff to make it sound like that, that it sounds like it comes from Blackfellas, you know. Mm. David Milroy writing those plays, you know, about music, about the travelling that were very specifically about Blackfellas that were identifiably Blackfellas. And I could see myself and, and me and my cousins could see ourselves up on that stage, which allowed us to then dream into those projects, which allows us to be authentically ourselves, which then means we can create authentic representative art from ourselves that's not apologetic, that's not playing to any Anglo tunes, that's just kind of warts and all who we are. And that is what art should be about. And that is what we've been able to do in Perth. And that's, you know, that's a big kind of tipping my hat to the, that started it before me. I inherited a theatre industry. I inherited a theatre audience. I inherited a, a town that already knows what Aboriginal theatre is. Actually, this town knew what Aboriginal theatre was a long time before the rest of the country started asking the questions about what is Aboriginal theatre. In Perth, we were going, oh man, we solved that ages ago. You guys keep doing that. And that's, you know, that's a big, big, huge hats off to those people, to the Davis family and the Wilkes family and the, and the Hanson family and, you know, all these fellas that, that made all this work before, before us Morrisons got involved, you know, and, and, and people like Paul McPhail and David Milroy who created this idea out of this, this youth workshop to create a, an entity that we can kind of, you know, gravitate towards and, you know, and Black Swan Theatre who've created authentic Aboriginal art. Well, I think so. I think, you know, not everybody agrees with me in that and that's, and that's art so subjective you know not every not every aboriginal person has agreed with everything that we've done at Uriarkin and I'm glad for it because if everybody agreed with what I'm doing I'm probably not doing the right thing I'd probably be making something worse than home and away you know <laughs> um I've, I've got to say that I'm, I'm just really jealous that I never really was on and home and away that's that's why I run it down all the time they, they never asked me for an audition um, you know anyway um so this this whole idea that we can be a center of not even Aboriginal theatre, like this, this, this Perth could be a centre of First Nations and Anglo-cultural exchange because we do it, you know, Perth does it with all of its racism. Like Perth is still one of the most racist countries, well, racist countries, Perth is not a country. It's a country town, maybe. You know, Perth is still one of the most racist places in the world. And, and you know, like I still have to deal with racism every day. And, you know, like, I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a bit worried right now because I have to start looking for a, a rental property and I just know the fact that I'm Aboriginal is going to make it a lot harder. You know, the fact that last time I went for a rental property outside of a private rental place, you know, I had to get, I had to get a, a recommendation from the Shadow Minister for the Arts. I had to get a recommendation letter. I had got a bit, I, you know, I tried to get a, a bloody recommendation from uh, uh, Eric Ripper because, you know, good man. I went to primary school with his son, Ben Ripper. Hey, Ben, hope you're listening. How you doing, bud? Haven't seen you for like nearly 30 years, eh? Anyway, um, you know, I, I tried to get a rep recommendation like that because even though, you know, I have, I have savings, I don't have a criminal record, I've, I've got my bond and a full-time job, I've won... National Aboriginal Youth of the Year once, and I've you know I've been a, a guest of the American Department of the State when I, they, they took me over for a cultural leadership program that I helped them run in in the U.S. a couple of years ago. And I've 
been a part of the British Council's cultural leadership program. I've run, you know, international First Nations leadership programs in in Wollongong last year for the British Council, where I brought everybody over from all over the plate, all over the world. But it's still hard for me to get rent in Perth because because the racial racist kind of structures, structural racism, which still exists within this in this place, and you know, and I kind of go, and that's kind of sets me back a little bit because I know how good this town is and how, how we're all heading towards a, a, a beautiful shared place but at the same time, you know, nobody still wants to sit next to me on the bus. I still, I still get asked for, you know, I still get asked if I'm okay in, in, in the supermarket or, you know, I still get, um, I, I, I still don't, it's going to be hard for me to find a rental property in the next couple of weeks, you know, and so that's, you know, the realities of, of, of the world that I live in is still, is still very hard. I, I, I still feel like I'm at war with the rest of this country Without a treaty, I still feel like I could be shot at any time and it would be legal, you know. I, I feel like every Aboriginal person that's in a, in a jail is, is technically a prisoner of war. So, you know, without a treaty, without some way for this country to kind of come together in a, in a, in a valid and rational way, I still don't call myself an Australian. And so every time I leave my house, I leave prepared to either argue with the police, be kind of pushed to the side because of because of you know my race or to just be you know to not get any rental properties or things like that because because of you know my race it's interesting you know australian australians love aboriginal culture but still keep aboriginal people at an arm's distance you know it's it's yeah it's we still got a long way to go in this country but i think this town is doing it in a lot of ways the best and the worst <laughs> at coming together you know you look at Fremantle that's a great idea you know, I don't ever want to celebrate Invasion Day or Boat People Day or, or you know, whichever, whichever, you know, first Boat People Day as I like to call it since we all like to make a big fuss over Boat Peoples. Um, so, you know, that day is just riddled with trauma with me. Like, I can't, there's no way I can call myself an Australian, there's no way I can celebrate this country and its achievements if we celebrate January 26th as a day of, as a day of celebration, you know. What what I what I usually do is on January 25th I usually spend that day kind of going, you know, for my for my ancestors this was the last day of freedom, the last day of happiness, the last day of peace, before the invasion. So you know it's 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 we're coming along. Places like Fremantle, you know, are really that's really beautiful. You know, we we I can I can celebrate this country if we're not celebrating the day that the invasion started. And then you see the repric you know the repercussions of that. You know, you yeah. saw you see that a lot of Perth people. Yeah, I, I, you know, it would, it might be cynical of me, but a lot of people want to celebrate it because of the the British heritage. You know, I think a lot of people want to celebrate it. This might be cynical of me, absolutely, but some people like to celebrate it just because it it causes us trauma and harm. And you know, some people I think want to celebrate Australia Day to remind us of our place, to remind us of the history, and that's the only reason why I'd, I would see celebrating that day is to remind everybody of your place and who's in charge here. So, yeah, there's a lot to kind of look forward to, but there's a lot of work still to be done. And I guess, you know, for me, not having my culture, my history, and, and myself accurately and validly represented in any places that I could see, TV, media, the stage was the only place that I could see a valid representation of myself. I was very lucky so that way I could have a strength of, of who I was and that I could look towards something better. I don't... I say this to a lot of people, I don't, education didn't work for me. I left school at year 10. School was detrimental to me more than actually 
beneficial to my to my growth as a human being. So you know, if how do we, in it, like in saying that, I really believe that my people and my community we need aspiration and inspiration and ambition more than we need education and health. I think. I know, I know, controversial. Somebody's already kind of tried to shoot me down on this one, and I'm happy to keep having that yarn. But you know, like I've never seen, I haven't seen a Western doctor in like three and a half years. I didn't really finish high school. It was theatre. It was art. It was culture. It was ceremony that actually allowed me to be the strong, independent, confident human being that I am. It wasn't. It wasn't. It definitely wasn't the white education system. It was theatre, and it was. The, it was one of the you know the white art forms. It's orthodox theatre that, that that kind of allowed me to look at that. But it also allowed me to look at myself and say that it's valid to be an Aboriginal person. Um, and so, the importance for things like Noongar Shakespeare and the Noongar Sonnets and Culture 2.0 to to give our young Aboriginal people a validity of themselves is is so important. The more Aboriginal people that have got a sense of themselves. And I'm talking about young fellas, you know, going from about 10 to 15, because that's a very impressionable age, you know. If I had language at that age, I would have been a stronger human being. I had dance. I used to be able to do Noongar dance. So we did Noongar and Yamaji dance. We did it all the time. Me and my brothers, we would perform. My cousin brothers, Dion Woods, Fabian Woods, Joseph Taylor. We would perform to places at youth events and stuff. And, you know, I was lucky that I had something that I was proud of being an Aboriginal for. Because the only other places that you were proud to be an Aboriginal for was Chris Lewis and Nicky Winmar, and the only other places that we saw Aboriginal people was Crime Stoppers and jail and stuff like that. So the fact that I could be a strong Aboriginal person and not have to play football or be in politics was very liberating. And now what we want to do is share that idea that you can be a strong contemporary Aboriginal person and, you know, and, and still be the biggest Harry Potter nerd in the world and it's all still valid. And we are all still valid human beings and, and your culture is still within there. And I think theatre can, can really go a long way to doing that. Because TV and film are, are catching up, I guess. Yeah. yeah. What is a skill that an artist should aim for? Or quality? I think fearlessness. It's being able to work with fear. Because the most scariest thing in the world is exposing your dream and your idea to anybody else and I, I've seen this with writers I've seen this with, with dancers and I've seen this with a lot of people where you kind of open up what you think the universe is or what you think spirituality is or what you think consciousness is or what you think intelligence is to explore that in a creative way is terrifying and to show you know your core self-belief and, and you know I mean I think an artist should always be striving to say and to tell things the way that they really want to from right down in their heart and that's really scary because you might, you might not realise is that you're pro pretty much the, probably and pretty much the only person who's going to think like that and feel like that and that's fine and that's unique so the most important thing that I think that I want to give to you know for an artist is don't be afraid to back your own voice because the most important thing that you can have in this world and I'm talking to everybody is, is your voice, you know, like only you, so I'm talking to, to, to you, that young, that young fellow who wants to be a director out there, only you can direct the show that, that you want to direct. I can't direct it, Andrew Ross couldn't direct it, Claire Watson's not going to direct the show that you want to direct. Only you can have that vision, only you have the aesthetics that you have, only you have that rhythm and that pace for storytelling. And 
Only you have the dreams and the aspirations that you have. Every single person in the world, I feel, should be given a chance to express how they think and feel about things. I think, you know, everybody wants to do that. I think for artists, it's imperative that we do that. Some people want to say what they think the world is or how they think we, you know, we, we, we approach things or, or how to articulate loneliness or sadness in, in contemporary dance or, or how to paint, you know, how to paint the abstract idea of, of health or, or fitness. You know, you kind of go like they're unique and individual ideas of how to express the universe and only you can do that. So your artistic voice is so important to the whole universe, every single person's artistic voice. And if you're an artist out there, and you probably know what I'm saying, and you can probably feel it in your guts, you know, that the impetus, it's imperative to say what we want to say. It's, you know, it's not, I think I have something to say. It's like, I want to say this like this. That is the, the kind of core for art. And only you can do that. There's only one person in the whole entire universe and there's only one person ever in the history of humanity and ever will be in humanity who can think like you, who can create like you. So it's important that you create. And don't be afraid to because it's scary for all of us. So your voice is so important. Every single one of you out there. As I mentioned before, in two, I think it was 2012, Kylie, Kyle, along with Kylie Farm and Trevor Ryan, performed. Mm-hmm at the Globe Theatre in London. Mm -hmm. There is, people should check this, there is a clip of them actually doing their stuff on YouTube. Check that out. Um, mm. I, I managed to watch it a little, like, I think it's about two minutes. What's it like performing at the Globe? <laughs> um, it was kind of surreal. It was kind of surreal. You know, you, you know about these places and you, you, know, you know about the Shakespeare's Globe and I guess at the time it was hard to kind of really see uh, you know, thinking about it at the time, thinking back, it's an amazing experience to have kind of to, to kind of reflect on. But at that time, you're just kind of going through it, and, and, and you're kind of getting your you know. I was at the back, kind of going over my sonnet in my head, and and I had my my props in my hands, and I was you know really kind of getting nervous. And then you know the the MC on the day, who was just this lovely barrel of laughs, just that really awesome dry. British humour kind of MC where you, you don't know whether to laugh or not and you just, you know, it was almost like the office MCing, you know, it was beautiful and so I didn't, he kind of did it in such a way of an introduction that I just found myself out there ready to do my sonnet before I even realised and then I just kind of went into the place where you go, you know, because Noongar language is, is a new language for me, you know, I started really learning it in 2011 to then perform the sonnets at the Globe and and at that time, you know, I'm just kind of trying to, you know, really remember the words, how I, how I felt them. And, you know, because had, I had to build the Noongar language, uh, the process of building Noongar language into my recognition and into my consciousness, create, you know, required physicality. So, you know, when I'm talking about the word wayarn, which is, it's almost a deep depression. It's almost, you know, a depressed melancholy in a way. You know, if you're, if you're really... You know, you've got to use three or four English words for me to get a sense of what wayarn is. So using that word wayarn, which, you know, a lot of fellas might have heard the word winyarn, which is, which is, which is very similar, but wayarn is, is, is a really kind of helpless, really kind of empty thing. And so I had to kind of really go there with my body and my spirit because I, like, I didn't know the language, so I had to really kind of learn it in body and spirit and soul, you know, I had to really kind of hammer it into my spirit to, to kind of stay there. And then once I got onto that stage, I just kind of slipped back into that, 
that idea that I'm just kind of one with my ancestors and kind of trying to remember the words and make sure that they sound right, not for the audience in front of me, but for the spirits that are standing behind me. You know, you kind of go, I'm, I get this language wrong. I'm not worried about a rotten tomato or a bad review. My, my ancestors will come and visit me in my sleep or, or, or something will happen that, 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 you know, to, to remind me. So, you know, you always got to be conscious of, of, of how, how you're working with language and, and spirituality and culture because, because, you know, our pagan, pagan, comma, outside, quotation mark, sorry, is, you know, I, I, it's, it's 100% valid. And, and our spirits, our ghosts and our demons and our angels absolutely exist. And, and you know, I, I've got to be spiritually, culturally and philosophically really careful with, with how we do that, you know, because in a way, all language is magic. You know, it's, it's, it's just, just, it's absolutely magic that I can put a couple of pips and squeaks and bumps together in my mouth and throat and you understand exactly what I'm saying. I hope the audience can too, you know. Lo siento, hablo español muy poco, but it's okay, but we'll start with that later. Um, you know, so it's, it's magic. So whenever we're using Noongar language, because there's no separation between spirit and earth and thought and consciousness, you know, and, and so whenever you're using the language, the whole earth and all of the spirits, it's resounding everywhere with them. So when you're not using Noongar language on country, you're actually waking country up. You're actually talking to the spirits in a way that, that, that hasn't been for a long time. And it, and it actually activates spiritual and consciousness and, and entities within the, within the spaces between atoms and stuff like that. You know, if you want to think about it in a metaphysical way. So the use of language... I guess is, is a spiritual thing and we've, we're really looking at training our, our actors and our people not only to use and to say the, the, the sonnets and the poetry pop, properly but to understand the words deep deep down understand the words so well so you don't even have to translate them into English to understand them in your head you know that kind of place when you get to language with, with languages and I was like that with, with Spanish some years ago that I understood some concepts and some conversations and paragraphs you understand it, but you know you can't, you can't really you can't really articulate it or whatever. It starts to kind of just yeah seep in with you. So because we had to build that capacity for me to understand it and to perform it in such a spiritual and in such a kind of repetitive way that when I got onto that globe, that's what I did. I kind of went into that performance mode, and like I said, not for I don't know this sounds really weird, but not for the audience that was standing there in front of me, but for all the the spirits that followed me back to to London. You know, like. And in a way, for my Anglo ancestors, you know, I have English blood in me. You know, a lot of, a lot of us Aboriginal people and Noongar people, and uh, we all have Anglo blood in us. You know, I mean, wasn't really our great grandmother's choices at the time, but anyway, we still live with that now. And so, you know, it was just, it was just something really nice to take two of the strong cultures that I that I really that really give me a lot of life and love into this world, and that's you know that's Shakespeare and that's that's Noongar language. And got to share them both in the same time and place for that a minute and a half that I performed a sonnet. And then another minute and a half when I performed another sonnet. And the other minute and a half when me and Kylie got up and did another one in English. It was funny because um, we were supposed to do another one in English, but we got our communications crossed. And they said, so you've got this sonnet as well? And we're like, no, we're not doing that sonnet. And they're like... Oh, and I said, oh, we can go out there and read it out if you like and just have a bit of fun with it. And we, so we did. We, she went out there and read it out in English and I played the didgeridoo and me and I just had a little bit of a chat in Noongar between each lines and we kind of made it like that, you know, like, 
and that was that was actually one of the most beautiful things because we were doing it in English, but we were being a couple of uh, irreverent blackfellas, you know. So it was it was a beautiful experience because it's the center of it's the center of of that part of European culture that I love so much. And seeing the audience and the audience really they got it. They had the reaction and one of the most beautiful things I think from that day was hearing the sonnets in 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 Algonquin in in. In, um, in a language from Nigeria that less than, you know, 10,000 people speak now, you know, that's just hearing the sonnets in all those languages, it, it really, it was just beautiful because other people have the same connection to Shakespeare and their language, so we have a common connection from all around the world, but we come from such different cultures and ideas, but we're all there shared in the idea of telling the bard stories and words, you know, it was, it was a beautiful thing, you know, and I guess... Wow, we'd love to be able to do that kind of thing as a centre for excellence in, in Perth, to be able to create the capacity for, for this cultural exchange and people to come, maybe not you know, specifically through Shakespeare, I'm sure there's, there's other ways to do it, but um, it allowed this kind of focal point for 30 different languages to come together and to perform Shakespeare. So, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was really beautiful. And I think places like the Globe in London, you know, they're really good at kind of bringing the world you know, to an artistic place to have that common conversation. Well, well, they took everything else from the world, so they might as well bring all their stories and culture too. <laughs> we've, we've got time for two more questions. Awesome. Because, um, as we know, um, I've been invited, and Kyle has, has a very big job as being the artistic director of the Ariarkan Theatre Company, so I don't yeah. take up too much of your time. As we are on the cusp yep. of 2018, Yep. And as we look out into this wonderful, beautiful field of grass and, and the Subiaco Art Centre, yep. do you have any concerns for Perth's artistic industry? I do, and, and I guess it's not a new concern, it's, it's, it's an old concern, but you know, it's kind of, I'm the only artistic director, you know, of a major arts organisation that's, that's from Perth, you know, me and, me and Mark Howitt uh, at Oka. Um, you know, Black Swan, Claire's not from Perth, and Black and Gecko, Matt's not from Perth, and Philip, well, hey, Philip from Spare Parts, he's, oh, he's been here long enough now, I'm sure he's a Perth bloke now, eh? ain't that right, Philip? But you know what I mean, like, it's the orchestra, the ballet, the opera, the West Australian Art Museum, the Festival of Perth, none of them are really run by Perth people, and none of them have really been run by Perth people. It's kind of going... At what point uh, is Perth going to have its own artistic director of the Perth Festival? At what point is Perth going to have its own artistic director of Black Swan, of Barking Gecko, of, you know, of these, of these places where they are important Perth cultural institutions, but they are still envisioned by non-Perth people? So I don't know if that's a worry or a concern, but it's something that I, that I think that we should kind of keep an eye on in Perth, that a lot of our artistic expression is led by non-West Australians. Except for, like I said, Oka Contemporary Dance, led by Mark Howard and myself at Yuriyakin. And then, funnily enough, uh, Marageku in Broome. Um, so the only three companies that are run by West Australians are all the Aboriginal companies. And everybody else is, is kind of run by um, uh, non-West Australians. And I might be entirely wrong with that. Uh, somebody's going to probably kind of go, no, Kyle, the, there's one of these companies. There's, there's this company that's actually run by West Australians. You forget I'm West Australian, damn you. I'm sorry, my brother or sister. But it's true. It's, it's, it, it, feels like, it feels like Perth has this opportunity to be so unique, so authentic, so isolated in its, in its creation, in its process, in its, in its paradigm, but we lose that opportunity because we keep hiring interstate people. And that, I think, 
or you know in, in, the, in the festivals case it's usually British people uh, or you know Australian people who've spent more t- anyway you know it's, it's kind of I think that's something that one day I have a dream that Black Swan, Barking Gecko, Yuri Arkin, the Opera and the Ballet and WA Museum all run by West Australians and the Festival of Perth one day we can do that we could run all of those those programs we could we're all creatively brilliant and smart enough there's enough people in this town I mean just on the just you know just uh, just on on the edge of my fingers there's 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 a number of people that could run our festivals and our and our our state theatre company and you know I'm not saying that the people that are there now aren't valid and beautiful people I mean I love Matt and and Claire and and Philip what they do you know like in terms of theatre in this town and Julian at, at the Blue Room you know these these are people that are all with big hearts and, and, and you know really beautiful creators and, and they 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 are three people or four people that are really interested in artist development, which I think is really beautiful because one of the things about Perth I guess is that people get to a certain point and then they just move straight to Sydney straight to Melbourne, yes, yes. you know and so there's that that idea that and you know and, and to a bigger extent Australia suffer from this as well. You, you don't make it in Australia unless you've been to London or New York first. You ain't making it in Perth unless you've been to Melbourne or Sydney first, you know? So, uh, and you know, th- those kinds of things I wanna, I'd, I'd love to be able to kind of just, just rearrange our thought patterning around some of those things. Because I think if we had full control as West Australians of our artistic institutions, that uniqueness that comes from our, our isolation and our our unique experience as West Australians could create artistic capacity and artistic narrative that is unique in the whole world. But we're not going to get that chance if we keep hiring people that aren't from Perth to run our West Australian institutions. That's it's not a worry or a concern. I think it's something that, that, that we've kind of known about for a while, but I'm kind of going, I reckon as a town we can start imagining that West Australians are running everything here and imagine what that does for our town, what that does for our development, what that does for our local arts industry. You know, a lot of a lot of the people that come and work for a lot of the a lot of the other companies are all non-West Australians. You know, like video designers and choreographers and sound designers and and uh, writers and you know lighting designers and stuff and set designers. You know, a lot of shows and a lot of productions here they're not using Perth people a lot of times. So I just kind of go. I, I would love to be able to recognise the strength and the quality of our own people in our own industry and to just fill our industry up with West Australians. That would be a bit of a dream for, my, for me. Yeah, yeah. Once upon a time. Yeah. Well, as time is up, before we go, Kyle, um, yeah. another thing I forgot to tell you, the sort of catch with the Perthian Chronicle series, mm. the part two of it is, I would like to see myself in 10 years' time, so yeah. in 2028. Yeah, this, uh, this, is, this sounds fun. This is, this is what's really fun about this thing, I think. Re- revisit all my previous guests to see how they're doing. Well, listen to the, I'd love to listen to the interview and then go, oh, you naive, bloody, you know, yeah. <laughs> ambitious, optimistic young bastard, you. <laughs> but that's why I'm kind of going, in 10 years' time, you know how close how close are we to having all West Australians in those institutions? How yes. close are we to having you know Noongar language recognisable amongst the population? You know, like they're they're two very realistic dreams that I think we can kind of achieve. And then you know in in, in ten years time you're going to get this forty five year old grumpy old bastard going nothing's changed and I, and I, and I had a lot more hair back then. <laughs> That's not in the case in It's going to be interesting to, to have these conversations again and to to hear from the other people as well. Like I'm yeah. really, 
really looking forward to, to hearing what their dreams and hopes are for, for this town in the next 10 years because I love Perth. I believe in Perth. Like this is, if I'm going to work my ass off for anywhere in the world, it's right here. It's for Perth people, you know, it's black and white for all of us. It's, it's really worth working towards and I, and I really would love to see what their thoughts and ambitions and, and stuff are and, and then in 10 years time we all go, yep, well Trump ruined all that, didn't he? <laughs> 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 or, or, or we'll all be doing it in, in, in Korean. <laughs> we'll all be doing, in 10 years time we'll be doing this interview in, in, in Mandarin. <laughs> All wearing the same clothes, oh, with little stars on our hats. Thank <laughs> <laughs> comrades. Yeah, you did open with hello comrades, and I'm like, I love this guy. Oh, oh dear, well, in 2020, Kyle. <laughs> yes. I don't know where we might be. We might be, oh goodness. <laughs> Hopefully still in Perth. Absolutely. I hope so too. You know, if, if, unless I've been run out of town. <laughs> unless someone's gone, all right, enough of you, Kyle, and pitchforks and sent me out of town and run me all the way to Mandurah. Um, Kyle, what would you like to plug in the year 2028? In the year 2028, I would like to plug the world premiere of that masterpiece piece of theatre made by that young West Australian theatre maker that's going to go all over the world. And I can't wait for that world premiere in 2028. And I don't know who that awesome director is, I just know that a masterpiece is going to be made, a masterpiece of theatrical brilliance can and will be made in this town and we're going to be in 2028 at that opening premiere before it goes to New York and London and everywhere else. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Carl, for being on the Perthian Chronicles. Thank you very much for the Perthian Chronicles. It's, 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 a, it's a beautiful thing and I'd love to... Can't wait to... <laughs> oh, who knows what's going to happen in 10 years' time, you know? We, yeah, yeah. Oh, Jesus. <laughs>